Hi, my name is Callie, and on this podcast, hindsight is everything. Our goal is to look back on seasons we've been through and help prepare those about to face the same things. There's something powerful in knowing you're not alone and knowing someone has gone before you. So I gather up some great people, I ask them all the questions I can think of, and then, hopefully, by the end, we're better than when we started. I'm so happy you're here. Welcome to No One Told Me. Welcome to episode one of our February relationship series. We're finally in February. January, I think, was about three years long, but I'm really excited about this month. Actually, we've planned for this month since last August. I just knew this is something I wanted to do. And what I did was I asked couples in my life who played huge roles in shaping me before and during my marriage. But the first one, I just felt like it was only fair to start with me and Ryan having a conversation about our marriage, which is extremely exciting for him because he loves to have a microphone in his hand. It comes very naturally to him. I do. It's one of my dreams, really, <laughs> uh, to be in front of a microphone. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm glad I can make that come true for you today. You did the parenting one with me way back when. I mean, it was... It's been a while. It was pretty recent when we launched it. And at that point, the kids were in bed for the night. Right now, they are napping. And I'm waiting for the moment that one of those doors opens and and we have lost our opportunity. But let's let's seize it while we can. Ryan's only caveat to doing this with me was he wanted control of the episode. So he wanted to ask the questions because he's not quick on his feet. Is that why? I just feel more comfortable when I have time to think through the answer. So while you're answering, I can think through my answer. Right? So you are quick on your feet. I am just not as quick as you are. <laughs> Got it. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. I'm sorry that quick on the feet thing was not a funny joke. It felt funny in my head and this will this is our marriage. You just got a taste of it. As I say what I think is funny in my head and then it's really not. But I'm handing it over to Ryan right now. So here is No One Told Me by Ryan Holland. Oh, that's a lot of pressure. Okay, so first, let's just talk through kind of how we met, evolution of our relationship basically up until now, and then I'll correct you as I see fit. That's what you do best, isn't it? Um, so we, well, it is. He's he feels offended by that statement, but it's true. He has to correct me regularly, again because I don't think before I talk. So we met in middle school. I remember the very first time I saw you. I was sitting in the bus room, which was the gym on the seventh grade bleachers. I remember you walking in and I noticed you for several reasons. First, because you were at least six feet tall as a sixth grader. It's true. You were huge and none of your other friends were that big. Um, You were carrying a bright yellow backpack and you had some degree, varying degree of bleach in your hair. It wasn't fully blonde. Definitely not fully blonde, not bleached. It was. Definitely not. Well, then what was it? I don't Did you remember. squirt some lemon juice in your I, hair? I, I can't be sure what it was. It just wasn't bleach. We'll just say, <laughs> leave it at that. So I remember the first time seeing you. I don't think we actually talked until I was in eighth grade. You were in seventh grade. I was a manager for the boys basketball team and you were on the basketball team. And that is when I fell in love. When I just, I needed Ryan B. Holland to be my boyfriend. Did you want to be my boyfriend? At the time, I, I did not. 
I even confessed to you my undying love on AIM, Instant Messenger. And as soon as you did not return those feelings, I backed out real hard and said it was all a joke. And um, I'm still proud of that move. (laughs) But it was later on in high school. I think I was a junior. You were a sophomore. We just had this great friendship. I mean, you were one of my best buddies. We talked every single day, I think, in between everything, all day. Um, Then at night, we talked on the phone every single night. And eventually, it just kind of turned into this, hey, I think I kind of like you. And so we started dating at the end of your sophomore year, into my junior year. And... um, Am I supposed to keep going? I am, aren't I? You are, yeah. Okay, gosh. See, as an interviewer, you've got to give more directives. That's how this works. I'm training you on site right now. Okay, so continue. <laughs> that was a good one. Um, so went to college. I obviously graduated before you did, went to UT, started that college life. And you ended up going to the University of Memphis to play baseball, which is six hours away, mind you, and the most boring drive you can ever make. So uh, we did long distance for four years. And then you proposed your last year, and we got married right after you graduated, the July after you graduated. And we've been married eight, eight years, eight, nine, eight. Eight? eight. Help me. Very good. <laughs> eight. You're doing good. You're doing good. So, yeah, so you mentioned I went to Memphis, right? You were at UT at the time, Knoxville to Memphis. It's about six hours. So, obviously, we did the whole long-distance thing for four years while I was in school. What kind of lessons did you learn during that time while we were apart? People ask me if long distance was hard, and it absolutely was. I mean, I'm not going to act like it was great, but I also always say if I had to go back and do it again, I would do it the same way. We learned who we were apart from each other in ways that I don't think we could have had we have been in the same city through those college years. I learned a lot about who I was and what it meant to let someone else lead because I had not learned that lesson yet. I learned how to build relationships outside of you. Especially in your college years, when you date someone, it's easy to let your life get wrapped up in that person. And then they end up being who you are. Your entire identity ends up wrapped up in them somehow in ways that you can't really untangle. But with you away, we really, really developed who we were outside of just dating each other. Yeah, I think we talk about that a lot. I mean... If I had gone to UT or you had gone with me to Memphis or anything like that, we would have spent essentially all of our free time together. And then it becomes that it's Ryan and Callie and not just Ryan or just Callie. And so, yeah, I think it was it was actually exactly like you said, really hard, but a really, really good thing. So while we were doing the long distance thing, there was a time where you kind of felt God calling you to take a step. So kind of walk us through that process and maybe some of the lessons learned during that time. So within the the four years apart, I think we learned how to really communicate with each other effectively because we had to. We weren't actually in each other's presence very often. And so we had to learn how to talk things out. We had to learn how to argue. We had to learn the vocal cues of each other just because, I mean, I remember we got webcams thinking we were going to Skype all the time. We did it maybe one time. It was kind of weird in the dorm room. My roommate's over there. It is. It was just weird. Did yeah. not like it. It was um, new at the time, too. It was. FaceTime you know, did not exist yet. That's right. Yeah. Wow, we were old. Yeah. But we really learned how to communicate. And I remember this was one thing that I could not figure out how to communicate to you. I just had known for about six months that I had this restless feeling. And I think I knew I'm going to marry him. But I also knew that God was trying to work on something in me and in you and in our relationship. 
And my need to dominate and my need to take control and my need to say, we are going to do this and not do this and kind of timeline everything was getting in the way of the work that God wanted to do. It was a distraction to the work God wanted to do. And I just remember he continually through his word was just saying, Callie, you got to step back from this. Like, if you want this for the rest of your life for now, I need you to take a step of obedience and do what I'm asking you to do because you are valuing this relationship above your relationship with me right now. And I did that and I could not, I remember you had just come home from fall break. We spent all of fall break together. We were in the driveway of my parents' house and I turned to you and said, we have, we have to take a break. I remember you kept asking all these questions. I just didn't have answers to them. I didn't know how to explain it. I do now know how to explain it. But in the moment, I didn't know how to say, I know that God wants this for us, but I don't know why He wants it. So we took about maybe a month and a half, two months, something like that, apart. And it was within that time that God really taught me what submission was. And I know, you know, we've talked about this at church before. That word has the grossest, like, connotations to it. And everyone looks at it as just a terrible word to use. But I love how we've defined it at church. Submission is just an invitation to lead. And I was never giving you invitations to do that. I was always taking the reins. And I could really feel God working that in our relationship, that it was, if I wanted you to lead our relationship and our marriage and our eventual family, I had to learn what it meant to step back. And I had to learn that God wanted to work in you, and it's not me working in you, because that's what I wanted it to be. But I learned a lot in that. It was one of the most painful things I've ever done, and one of the most difficult steps of obedience I've ever taken. But it was worth it. I don't know if you feel the same that it was worth it, but it was for me. I mean, when we were going through that, for me, I was, one, confused. I mean, kind of like you said, it kind of came out of nowhere for me. And so, yeah, it was was definitely hard. I, I don't think either one of us would change that time. I mean, just the growth in that short amount of time that we both had and the realization, just like you said, we should be relying on a different relationship, not our relationship. So yeah, I don't I don't think either one of us would, would change anything about that. Along those lines, as we were dating long distance, right? We're not seeing each other a whole lot. We're talking, you know, pretty much every day, but sporadically. Were there ever times that you had doubts about our relationship while I was away? Does this question make you nervous a little bit? Yep. <laughs> I think someone actually asked this on Instagram for us to talk about. And for me, I think that I was comfortable with the thought of marrying you from the get-go. I would say probably a year in, even in high school. I remember when you said, I love you, I thought this feels like it should be dumb because we're so young, but I also know it to be true. But the doubt part, I didn't doubt our marriage. I didn't doubt that that's what we were headed toward because I'd always been taught you date to get married, right? So I knew that. I think I doubted like if we were going to always ebb and flow in the different seasons. Like I doubted my ability to be able to kind of hit a rhythm where if you didn't necessarily do what I want. Again, this was all a part of having us break up. I think the doubts led up to that. Was doubting my ability to let you lead in any sort of capacity. Doubting my ability to let anyone take control because I love control. That was where my doubts kind of rooted. And again, that's kind of why we took some time apart. But after that time apart, those doubts, they kind of went away. But I know for some people, your doubts are not just doubts, they're red flags. And I had so many conversations with people that I know loved me and loved Jesus. And 
I leaned in on them a lot to make sure that I was walking in a healthy direction and that I was doing what God had called us to do. So I think a little bit of doubt's one thing, but a red flag is something you need to stop, something that makes you uncomfortable, something that makes you um, nervous. Those are not just doubts. Those are big, fat red flags that God's placing in your life to say, this might not be who I have for you. Take a minute to step back and figure it out before you just force it forward. Yeah, I I think I'm kind of in the same boat. I, I really never had doubts about our future together. Even when I decided to go to Memphis, I didn't even talk to you about it first. You that know? was just a phone call of, hey, I'm going to Memphis. Cool. Can't wait. At that point, I think we had been dating about two years, and I came to a piece about the decision. I never really even thought anything of it. You know, I think people kind of go through that, well, are we going to stay together? Are we going to break up? We're going to be far away. I never even really had those thoughts. I just assumed. We're just hey, going to do this. Exactly. See what happens. Yeah. yeah. So I think I'm with you. I, I never really had doubts about our future, but of course, along the way, and I think it was different for me. The people that you had speaking into you knew me, maybe not incredibly well, but but knew me and were around me, the people that I was interacting with in Memphis didn't really know you that well. I mean, you, you were there on weekends occasionally and, and wouldn't interact with all the people that I interacted with. So those people speaking into me, I guess, didn't have that basis. So they didn't really have a way to say, yes, yeah, she's the one for you or, you know, different things like that give relationship advice on somebody they didn't even know. So I think it was a little bit mm-hmm. different, different situation on my side. So this next one was about the proposal. So I'll kind of talk about my end in a second, but did you expect that I was going to propose or did you have any expectation on the timing of the proposal? Hindsight, I should have. I remember sitting on the couch. It might've been on around Christmas break some point when you were at home for a long time and we sat on your parents' couch and your mom's like pulling out all these like antique rings that she has and making me try them on. And that's weird. We do that every weekend. <laughs> it's just a thing we do at our house. So I should have maybe picked up on something was going on, but I thought maybe she's just real excited about these rings right now. Or, you know, also just very, I'm always going to want to please who I think is going to be my future mother-in-law. So if she wants me to put these rings on, I'm going to put these rings on as many times as she wants me to. Um, so we sat on that, did that. And I remember coming down, there were two things that kind of I should have noticed about it is first, the entire family came down, like your sister and her husband and our nephew and my mom, like all of the, like just tons of people were down with us. So that was weird. But two, you never have cared what I've worn. Like, I mean, you've not ever had special requests on like, hey, wear that dress or that shirt. Like, I don't even think that even registers for you. But that weekend, and you don't remember doing this, but you did. You said, hey, you should wear that blue dress because it matched the uniforms. Memphis is blue. Yes. Yeah. Perfect. But you had said that and I thought, well, this is weird, but all right, maybe just really likes that dress. And so those things should have cued me off, but really I had no idea. I mean, I mean, I knew we were going to get married and you were going to propose eventually, but I didn't know it was going to be that weekend. I guess on my side, I knew a couple things. I knew one thing you had said was that if I didn't do it in a really creative way or a creative way or something along those lines, that you were going to say no and have me try again. I forgot I made those rules, but now that you say it, I very much remember that hard line I I didn't want that... No answer to be the thing. So I I tried to put some thought into it. And the second thing I knew was how much you valued pictures and and being able to remember the time. So I wanted there to be a natural way to have cameras there. And how do you do that? So I tried to act as well as I could and kind of 
begrudgingly say, yeah, I'll come out for pictures because I'd never come out for pictures in my uniform. Mm -hmm. I knew that there was a particular uniform you liked. I love those pinstripes. I love them with my whole heart. And so I knew the day that we typically wore those. So I tried to orchestrate that I would come out after the game, we would get a couple pictures, and then I'd go in and change. And one thing that I was really surprised that you didn't pick up on was the 20 or 30 or so guys that were like peeking around the corner when we were getting the pictures. Because my entire team knew that this was happening and they were all like watching it happen. And I'm pretty sure they all told their parents or girlfriends. Yes, they were all hovering around. What did they say when you told them you were going to propose? I mean, I think they knew that it was coming. Did you pitch that day? No. Okay. No, I think they knew that it was coming, so they weren't surprised or anything. I mean, they were excited, but it wasn't yeah. like a shock to them that this was happening. I do um, remember them peeking around the corner, but I, again, just thought they were waiting And on then you. the 50 or so other people that are... Were just hovering around. They're just hovering, just watching. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Especially yeah. for a guy who just like wants to stay on the sidelines away from everything as right. much as possible. Yeah, that would have been nice. But uh, so anyways, we got the pictures and I think you ran away. I don't think you actually answered the question. I walked swiftly away for a second to gather myself and my thoughts. So would you have had me do anything different? I don't think so. I mean, I really, I wanted it to be specific to us. I wanted it to be specific to the season we were in. And I wanted to be surprised. And all of those things happened. Every single one of them happened. I do remember feeling real weird. And I even hate some of the pictures. Like when you're proposed to, is it a little presumptuous to just stick your hand out? Or do they need to take... You know, have you ever... I didn't think about these things until I was proposed to. I've never been proposed to. I don't know. (laughs) I'm not really sure what the etiquette is. In the pictures when I come back, I'm sure there is etiquette to it. I don't know. I just stuck my hand out. And was like, all right, put it on there. Like After you ran away for a minute. Anyways, I need you to move past m- that moving along. for the health of our marriage. <laughs> so everyone uses this phrase, when you know, you know, right? Do you think that's a true statement or do you think there's validity in that? I know for me, there was never a time where I was ready for you to leave me. Whether it was in high school and all the way through college and even now, there's never a time that I look forward to and want, like feel relief when you leave. And feeling that in high school is one thing because, you know, you're in the first stages of a relationship. Feeling that in college was kind of an assurance to me and feeling it still now that there's never a time I don't look forward to you coming home and there's never a time that I get really sad when you leave, especially if you go out of town or any of those things. So looking back, that is for me what when you know you know means is I didn't want to be away from you. Now, there are some like, I need I need a minute sometimes when you tick me off, but for the most part, <laughs> that's what it means when you know you know. That's what it means to me is there was never a time I didn't want you close to me. I think for me, it, it wasn't ever a moment. It wasn't ever, you know, it just hit me, oh, okay, this is how it's supposed to be. It just kind of evolved into, kind of like I was talking about when I made the decision to go away to school. I just kind of knew that we would be okay or that everything would work out how it's supposed to be. So I think for me, that's that's kind of what it was where I guess, you know, you're so, you sought what God has for you and you're in that. And so you know that everything's going to be okay. Maybe you don't necessarily know exactly what that's going to look like, but you know everything's going to work out. So I think that for me is is kind of the way I take that. Well, and I I think too, it comes with marrying your best friend, which I know you hear that phrase all the time, but you truly were and are my very best friend. I mean, even with the close relationships that I have in my life right now, 
There are things that I would not tell those people, but there is not one thing that I'm ever nervous to tell you. I mean, other than when I've filled my plate with too many things and have too many obligations. That makes me a little nervous to tell you because of the shame that I feel and I know what you're going to say to me. But I just think about the things that hurt my heart the most, the things that upset me or make me angry or that I can't seem to get over, the things that bring me the most joy or make me the most excited, the things that have filled my cup the most. I'm never, ever nervous to tell you any of those things because I've married my best friend. And yeah, I know- we talk about this too. Maybe sometimes I'm nervous to tell you things, but I'm not ever nervous that you're going to decide to leave or, or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've gotten to the proposal Eventually, after you ran away for a second, you said yes. How many um, times are we going to talk about that? That's the fourth well, time. I'm, I'm counting. I'm, vin- I'm keeping. I'm venting that's what point. I do in marriage. I keep count. <laughs> I keep score. <laughs> so so we were engaged for a little over a year. During that time, we went through the premarital counseling. Initially, we wanted to get the discount on the marriage license. Gosh, um, yeah, we did. I love a good coupon. You know, <laughs> still to this day, I won't go looking for them. But if you just hand me one, I'm in. <laughs> Anyways, um, we went through this with our youth pastor, so he knew both of us. He had since gone to another church in the area, so we did our premarital counseling with him. What is one of the most surprising things that you learned from that whole process? First, let me tell you, every minute of premarital counseling is worth it. I mean, every second of it is absolutely worth it, and I did not see that coming. I mean, I remember we were like, gosh, this is annoying to have to do right now. We've been together forever. We know, we want me to get married if we didn't know each other. You know, I mean, it all felt so silly. And we walk in there and we sit down and you have to take this like 200 plus question test so they can tell kind of the compatibility. And I already knew, I was like, hey, I know we're completely opposite. Like we are in every way. If you meet us for the first time, the first thing you say is you all are opposite, completely different people. You know us for a while. It doesn't change. We're still completely opposite. <laughs> it's still, it is still that. But um, I knew all that, and I just thought, we are too like far along for this, but we'll do it again for the discount. And I just remember being blown away by the end of it, of what I learned about myself, what I learned about how I interact with Ryan, my reactions instead of my responses, that I was very reactionary. I'd never noticed that, and that it was... a result of family and upbringing and my past. And I'd never, ever even given that thought, never considered it. But even though like I was raised in a church, like all the boxes were checked that I should be a completely emotionally healthy and stable person. But I learned in premarital counseling that I wasn't when it came to arguing, when it came to conflict, when it came to any of those things, I was not going to handle it in a healthy way. And I would not have known that without premarital counseling. I would not have known that my instinct is to shove it in a box and not talk about it. I would not have known that I was going to fire off words that were hurtful for almost no reason. I just learned so much about myself and and how I handle relationships in general that I just wouldn't have known without it. Yeah, I think I'm with you. I was honestly surprised by the whole process. I went into it probably with not the best attitude, um, just Going into- Which for Ryan, a bad attitude is like he's going to smile maybe 15% less. <laughs> like that's a bad attitude for him. <laughs> well, I don't know if that's So it's a ter- terrible attitude out of him. But, you know, I went through it with like, let's go check the box, right? This is what you're supposed to do. Let's go ahead and get it over with, right? That whole thing. But I- I'm with you. I learned a ton. Um, and I still remember things that we talked about that were brought up in the counseling today that are true. And I can remember, you know, not 
warning makes it sound bad. Um, but like some but, sirens are about to go off, <laughs> right? some lights. But, but kind of a you know how we would maybe interact with each other, how you would respond when I say certain things, or how I would respond when you say certain things, things like that. And, and the, just really the whole process was, I guess, surprising based on what I thought we were going to get out of it. I mean, I remember a specific example. He said that um, you know, like there will be times when. Maybe Ryan will ask you to replace the paper towel roll. Like, hey, we're out of paper towels. Where are they? I'll do it. It doesn't, you know, like just something as simple as that. And it's going to push a button on you. And he was so right because my past made me reactionary to stuff like that, to where I'm assuming that what you're telling me is I'm not keeping up with what I should be doing around the house and I'm not doing enough to make sure that the family's taken care of and that I'm not, you know, doing the the tasks that are set before me. Like, I will spiral. And somehow you just asking for some paper towels is that you don't want to be married to me anymore because you don't think I'm a good wife. And all you're trying to do is get paper towel. You know, like all you're trying to do is wipe up that milk. And I've made it into this big thing. And it was so true of me that if I don't step back and check my reactions before their reactions, there's always going to be consequences to them. And I just, I never would have thought of that before. Well, and I think some of those types of things we knew, but it was really comforting and reassuring to hear somebody else say it, to hear somebody else say, this might happen. And then when it happens, we know, okay, here might be the reasons why. I think it was a really helpful process. Plus we got that discount. You better believe it. So we got married and then we moved in together. I had lived previously kind of on my own, I guess. I had a roommate but you had not lived on your own before. You had stayed with your parents for, you know, the year while we were engaged and then we moved in together. So what was it like for you to, one, start living on your own and two, start living on your own, as you say, with a boy? With a dirty, nasty, all boys are that. I don't care. I don't care who you are. All right, boys are gross, period. And I'm, I will say this looking you dead in the eye, you're gross. Love you too. <laughs> but that, we moved in this tiny little 800 square foot house it was it was such a tiny little house, but it was the sweetest little house. But anyways, so that way, if there was something out of place, you noticed it within seconds because it was so small. So, we could see the whole house from yes, one room. Yes, like everything had its place. It needed to be in its place. But you didn't really prescribe to that way of thinking. It's just wherever you set it down is where it could stay. And those little things is where I had to learn that reactionary piece about myself, that there are some things to get mad about and to create a bigger argument over. And then there are some things that it's not worth it. And I learned that in the first couple years of marriage. I used to get onto you for not hanging the dish towel back up. My perfectly picked seasonal dish towels that I always had out, you would use them to wipe your hands and just like set them wherever you stopped wiping your hands at. Sometimes the kids do that. And no, they that leave is, it. we didn't have kids in our first two years of marriage, honey. I'm sorry. I need you to remember back. <laughs> the dog, he could. <laughs> but I didn't think I was a clean freak. And then I realized I'm a clean freak. Just in the sense that I like things to be where they go. And it causes me anxiety in my heart if there's clutter and mess. Still now, like I can't handle it. But um, I had to get used to that. You did not feel that way. And we had to find some sort of middle ground quickly with that. Well, living in a house for four years, um, I had one roommate, another guy, of course. And so, you know, we lived in a little bit different way than what kind of, I guess, your expectation was. And so I kind of had to get used to that. That is such a kind and grace-filled way to describe the way that you all lived. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We weren't, our house wasn't the cleanest. I'll I'll, I'll freely admit that. You Um, did try to pick up when I was coming into town though. I'll give you that. I did. Well, picked up, not cleaned up. There's a difference. But 
getting used to, I think you've said it this way before, used to how we use spaces in different ways was a challenge. Um, and it, I think maybe with any marriage, you know, starting off, you have those moments where, hey, I've always done it this way. You've always done it this way. We got to pick a lane here. Yeah, it's um, just it's knowing, knowing now it takes time to create that new normal, that it's not just going to happen as soon as you are living together for that first week, all of a sudden you're going to figure each other out. No, it took a lot of time for us to establish that new normal. Yeah. So over the years, obviously we've had arguments. Maybe it's about the towel hanging on the on the rack here. How would you describe our conflict resolution skills? This is probably where I'm most thankful for our time, our four years long distance, because we really had to figure out how to argue in a productive way especially with cell phones. It was one of the saddest things with cell phones. I couldn't slam down the phone anymore to make a point. I had to actually verbalize what was making me mad. Right. And so I think for for me, I had to learn that you need to feel heard. It's extremely important to you to feel like I am engaging and listening with what you are trying to convey to me and not just flippantly. And my instinct is to cut you off because I know that it will get you riled up even more. You know, like we, when we get in these heated moments. And because I came from a family with two older brothers, I'm a button pusher. Let me figure out your button and I want to push it over and over again when I'm mad. But I had to learn with you, you are not reactionary at all. Like you are a, you have a, a quiet frustration to you when you're upset about something. And I had to learn to read that about you, that you're not going to immediately yell about anything. You're not going to yell at me. You are not going to like toss around barbs and like but push buttons and, and be sarcastic and, and cut to it. You're not going to do any of that. That's not how you work. You have a quiet frustration is the only way I can describe it. And I had to learn those cues and to pick up on those quickly because otherwise it grows in you. And I can count on one hand the amount of times I've heard you raise your voice. And I learned from those few times that you have to be pushed very hard and far to raise your voice. And I just had to learn your quiet cues because it was different than anything I had ever, ever dealt with. So I think it's just learning the signs that the other person is upset because it's not always going to be angry words. It's not always going to be yelling. You have to learn how that other person can convey that emotion in the moments when they feel like they can't. And instead of letting it feed my anger, understanding what my part in it was that created the situation because there's always two sides. Yeah. These these disagreements, these frustrations, they never happen in a one-sided scenario ever. Something is always feeding them, whether it's right or wrong, accurate or inaccurate, something's always feeding it. So how am I feeding it? What have I done to create the scenario in accordance with what you had done as well? I I wasn't saying that I'm, I'm the one that always messes up. It's I always have a part to play. And the longer I take to recognize that, the longer I take to own that, the bigger and harder it is going to be to work through it. Yeah. And, and you mentioned, I mean, w- we were, I guess, in some ways fortunate to have those four years apart because we did have to learn how to communicate. We also had to learn about timing. You know, sometimes things need to be resolved right then and there. And so in our case, it would have been a quick callback or something like that. Sometimes we need to just sit on it for a while. Um, and having that time apart, I think we both kind of realize that. I mean, we don't have to, you don't have to be apart from somebody to realize something like that and figure out the ebb and flow of the timing. But I think we figured out pretty early on, sometimes we both just need time to sit and think about it. And having that natural distance, um, I think really 
helped with that or helped move that forward? I think one of the biggest things I've learned, even in the past couple of years, with any conflict, not just with, with us, but with any conflict across the board, is I need to think about how is this person hearing what I'm saying? What kind of state are they in emotionally with their thoughts or whatever else? How are they hearing what I'm saying? And how do I need to adjust what I'm saying to where they hear it in the best possible way? Because in the heat of a moment, you don't always think that way. But I'm trying to still actively to adjust my responses based on the other person instead of just reacting with what I feel in the moment. And I think that goes along with maybe kind of the next question too, talking about hard conversations. I mean, it doesn't have to be an argument to be a hard conversation. How do you think we've kind of learned how to have those hard conversations or bring up those hard conversations with with each other? I think I said it before, the things that I get most nervous to talk to you about out of anything else is I am an overcommitter. It is my MO. I always have a million things and I'm a fly by the seat of my pants kind of person. Like I'll figure it out as it comes and it will make it work. And that's not you. You are a planner. You want to know what's happening, when it's happening, who's going to be a part of it. You know, you want to know every piece of it before you walk into anything. Correct. And I never, I mean, we had to learn that early on. I'd invite people over and you would ask me no less than one million times how many people were coming and who it was. And a lot of times I couldn't even remember who I'd invited. I'm just like, whoever, they show up, they show up, and we figure it out. And that is not how you function on any level. And yet I kept doing it, even to this day. I think I've got better about it in the past year. You have, yeah. In the I, past year. You absolutely have. But it took you just finally being like, this kills me. Like, I can't, I can't even enjoy anyone coming over because I'm always wondering who else is going to come through the door. Like, how many more people are we going to have? Um, How do you know how much pizza to order? <laughs> well, you always overorder, so I'm never nervous about it. But it's it's things like that with the hard conversations. I always dread. I don't dread it. It makes me nervous when I have to come to you and be like, hey, I have this, this, and this going on. And it's usually not a week or two weeks before. It's usually like the day of that I'm telling you what I have going on. It's almost like I, I don't want you to be disappointed in me. And when I come and tell you these things, I know you're going to be disappointed in me. And so I put off telling you and I put off telling you and I put off telling you until I absolutely have to tell you. Those hard conversations, I had to learn because you were willing to have that hard conversation with me that you're not going to be upset or disappointed if you know in advance. Like that's just your personal preference. And I don't have to, I would build it up so much that I wouldn't have the conversations about the things that I knew would disappoint you because I didn't want to be the reason you're disappointed. So I think, yeah, what I said earlier with knowing how you need to hear something or how I need to say it in a way that you'll receive it well, but also learning what your pet peeves are, what drives you nuts. And instead of avoiding them altogether, addressing them early on and just saying, this is what's happening and what's coming. Please don't be mad at me. Yeah, I think the more time you have to talk through and work it out, the better it's going to be in the end. So Speaking of conversations in general, we have two kids now, which pretty much dominates our our every waking moment. How have the kids changed our relationship and maybe how have we worked in some ways to to keep a healthy marriage with the kids? I think in lots of ways, we jokingly say this all the time, but like there's no more conversations in the car. There's no more conversations (laughs) anywhere while they're around. It's very true. There was a commercial for a show on the other day and it had this kid next to his mom and he's saying, mom, mom, mommy, mom, mommy, mom. And I've never felt so seen 
as I did through watching that commercial <laughs> because that is our life. And it was filmed in our house. Actually. Yes, for someone who loves someone being attentive to them, like you do, like you want me to be attentive when you're in a conversation with me and not distracted. That's probably one of the hardest things for you to get used to. Like I can leave a conversation and come back to it as many times as I need to, but it drives you bananas to do that. And it drives me bananas to not, it's like you have this selective hearing where it's like, you don't even hear it. Like if a kid's freaking out on the other side of the house, you just continue on as if nothing's happening. I don't understand how it works, but you do it. Like we'll be in the car and you will break at a yellow light when there's a screaming child in the back and I'm ready to reach my foot over and stomp on the gas. I, I don't understand how you do it, but yet you do it. The pediatrician said that you learn their cries. And so... <laughs> I, don't, I still don't believe you learn their cries. I think it all falls into, they'll be fine for you. But I think that has changed a lot. I think that it wasn't until Don Wilson said to me, hey, the order of your priorities in your life needs to be God, your spouse, and your kids. And I did not know that was the order. I thought kids come first, kids, everything, priority. But it works that way because our relationship is the foundation of our family. And our kids are going to be better for it when we are taking care of our relationship. And that looks like attention to you when everything else is chaos. And looks like not saying, hey, I'm too tired to have any conversations. I just want to go to bed. Because by the time I get to bedtime, I want to be to bedtime. You know what I'm saying? Like, By the time I tuck those kids in, I'm ready to be tucked in. I'm done for the day. So I think learning that that time is almost sacred for us, even if it's not talking the whole time, but just being in each other's presence actively and and attentively being in each other's presence was something that we had to learn how to do in a healthy way. And maybe the word is overused, intentional, right? I mean, just being intentional about the time we do have together because we have less, just us with no distractions because we do have the kids. And so I think just trying to be intentional about all of those times and scheduling. I mean, I know that sounds so cheesy and not earth shattering at all, but scheduling time for just us when we don't have the kids where we can take a breath and just talk. So certainly they've changed our lives. They've changed our lives in good ways, but we definitely have to be intentional about keeping our marriage strong. All right. So our last question here, what did no one tell you about marriage? I think the, um, thing that I've had to learn, and I think I I only said it to you maybe within the past six months, is that you have to continually get to know who you're married to. I think it's easy to think, I know you when we get married, and you're going to be the same person throughout. But the Ryan that I'm married to right now is different than the Ryan that I married eight eight years ago. I say it with a lot of confidence. Um, But you are, because the seasons we've gone through together, the changes that we've been through, I mean, whether it is with with kids, whether it is, you know, changes in our extended family stuff that's happened in our families, or job changes, I mean, everything is constantly shaping us throughout our entire lives. And all of these different seasons of life have poured into us and taken away from us. I think it just means for us that I learned to ask you important questions, not just once, but over and over again. So instead of a, hey, how was your day? Good. And we move on. I actually push a little more to hear what happened in your day and what it meant for you, what it meant for us, like whatever that might be. I think it just meant, I just learned that I'm going to need to dig a little deeper consistently and intentionally for us to continue going in a healthy direction. Yeah, that's a good answer. Mine's a little 
more cheesy than that. But I, I think for me, a, a lot of people told us, you know, well, make sure to pay attention to this because you might start struggling with that or, you know, finances are going to be really hard or, you know, all of those different things. But no one tells you all the fun that you're going to have. I mean, I mean, really and truly, we've had a lot of fun. We've had hard times, certainly, but overall, we've, we've just had fun. And you always so I, sound like a professor when you say certainly and... I'm good with it. I like it. Oh, I just, yeah. when you say it, it sounds very factual. And oh, you should have your own podcast. Call for, it. For sure. Call We've had fun. <laughs> that works too. But I mean, yeah, no one does tell you the fun that it is. I remember Whitney talking about that a long time ago on the marriage podcast, that it's just plain fun. And yeah. it is because you are going through life with your very best friend, which is why it's so important who you pick to marry and why it matters so much. Because the fun that you're going to be able to have, like it's got to be someone that you can spend your whole life with. And um, I remember one of my favorite things when people ask me, what's your favorite thing about being married? It's that at the end of the night, you don't have to go home. Someone told me, you're going to love that. And I thought, eh, I don't know. (laughs) Like, why is it that big of a difference? But it is. Like, It is. At the end of the night, you don't have to go home. We are home. That is probably one of my most favorite things. Yeah. But yeah. I hope you don't forget the very last question. No. So we like to end every episode with just having a chance for you to share. What are you so happy that someone did tell you? It's something you could be into right now or just anything. <laughs> Is that to show that you've been listening? That was good, right? <laughs> I wish you could have seen his face and also his uh, hand motions and all of it. Just it was the full package. And I'm so sorry to everyone who didn't get to witness it firsthand. But um, what do I love right now? Okay. I am so, so into my Clinique Take Off the Day. I need to make sure that's what it's called, but I'm pretty sure it's called Clinique Take Off the Day. And it's this like weird like balm that you put on your face. I know I'm winning you over Sounds already. Sounds awesome. <laughs> but you rub it all over your face and then you take a wet washcloth and wipe it off and all of your makeup, every single speck of it, Ryan, I'm not exaggerating, every I- speck of your makeup I certainly can't even imagine that. <laughs> will be gone. And I certainly do guarantee you that when you do your double cleanse, because I'm sure you also double cleanse, if it's step one of your cleanse and then your second step, there will be no makeup wiped off. You take it to the bank. I'm telling you, this stuff is good. So I think it's called Clinique Take Off the Day. I'm fairly certain that's what it's called. Like I'm going to say 95% sure. I love that that's stuff. That's good. That's 95% is good. But let me tell you something. It's not cheap. So I'm sorry. I'm just full disclosure here. It's not. It's okay. Get a coupon. Um, so mine is somebody recently told me about geocaching. Um, so, so cool. <laughs> so well, I'm a little embarrassed that you're talking about this. But me and my nephew, our nephew. That's true. I've been going and he's really you into You get to it. wear your cargoes. I do. Cargo I have, pants. I have a special place for my pin to sign all the logs and everything. The good thing about it is it's free. So then we can afford your... Clinique thing or whatever. So so it works out. Yeah. Also, your beard bib is great. So if anyone, if you are married to a man with a beard that he has to trim it and you're sick and tired of trying to clean up all those tiny little hairs that you can't ever get all of them and you find them every time you go to brush your teeth, I'm not speaking from experience, obviously. I'm just kind of describing it as I've been told. This beard bib, it goes around their neck and connects to the mirror. You think, because I close the door, because I'm pretty sure it looks really goofy when I'm... <laughs> well, I've not actually laid eyes on it while he's had it on, although I would love to. It is an effective way to keep those tiny little hairs out of your business. So give that... Where'd you even find that? Amazon.com. Of course, where all great things are found. But hey, you did a great job. 
my first interview. I feel good about it. I'll maybe come back if I'm invited. I don't we'll know. See. We'll have to see. You've got a few connections to get back on the show, so we'll see where it lands. But hey, someone said this to me the other day, and it was one of the truest statements that they've said. They said, you married an incredible guy. And I even get slightly emotional thinking about that statement because I know how true it is. And so I know you didn't want to do this, but you did it because I married an incredible guy. Let's all just cry together now. Can we? I'll pay you later for saying it. <laughs> we'll see you next week for part two of February Relationships. I really should have come up with a catchier title, but here we are. I love ending every episode telling you how thankful I am for you, that you would take your time to listen to what we're trying to do here. So if you loved it, or even if you have feedback, I want to hear about it. You can either hop on over to iTunes and leave us a review, or you can just DM me on social media. Usually I'm on Instagram the most. It's at C-E-Holla. And again, I love hearing from you guys. So make sure you either write a review or send me a DM, which always seems a little bit desperate asking for it. But here I am asking anyways. Thanks again for tuning in.